welcome everybody to the latest edition of the Car Session Sports Report. If you don't know by now, I'm your host, Javi. I gotta tell y'all, I, I, I started to miss you guys. You know, last week was NBA week. It was all about getting everybody ready for the upcoming season, giving y'all my thoughts on what to expect, haves and have nots. But the Car Sessions format that you know and love is back, so let's get right into it. Uh... When you look around at the NBA right now, the NBA, when you look around at the NFL, eight weeks into the season, I'm so basketball-centric, I'm thinking about the league passes on NBA, 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 I just keep repeating NBA, but eight weeks into the NFL season, this NFL season, I, I don't know, guys, maybe I'm wrong about this, but the football is kind of whack, with the exception of a few games here and there, my Ciroc bottle keeps falling. With the exception of a few games here or there that are pretty good, for the most part, I'm looking at these games and I'm bored. Maybe you guys disagree. I'm not necessarily sure. But from my vantage point, it just feels as though all these teams are trying to do this West Coast offense, spread the field, dink and dunk. Let's go five wide and run a quick slant for a yard. Or a a quick out for a yard and punt the ball. We had two ties in the past two weeks. Like, what's really happening here, people? Like, what's going on with the quality of football? Like, the defenses aren't that good. I'm still seeing a lot of putrid defenses. So you can't tell me it's the D. So what is it, guys? What am I missing? Foremost, I'm gonna start with these ties because I feel like the ties that we're seeing right now are simple fixes. They're extremely simple fixes. The fact remains that coaches are going into this overtime period knowing that a field goal won't beat them. But excuse me, let me let me, let me take a step back. These coaches are going into these overtime periods knowing that they can get a field goal at least. The game will continue. The defense will probably hold, and they'll get another shot to win the game. As a, like they're, they're treating it like a fifth quarter, essentially, as opposed to getting the ball and go scoring a touchdown off the rip. They wanted to kick a field goal, and that's that. And I got to tell y'all, like, I'm, I'm not feeling that. That's kind of cowardly to me. And I feel as though a lot of NFL coaches throughout the league, they coach for the media as opposed to coaching the win. They're coaching so that they don't have to answer why they did X, Y, and Z, where statistically speaking, or, or under normal circumstances, you would do this. There's not enough coaches out here who are going for the gusto. For instance, I'm going to go to a quick tangent. You see a coach like Mike Tomlin, right? He goes for two. So more often than a typical coach. He is vilified for that because it goes against the grain puzzling to me because it's like the same media members who vilify him for going against the grain lament the fact that head coaches are too robot-like. They're gutless. They're cowardly. They suffer from extreme cowardice. So now we go into these overtime periods and if I, trust me, if I was a head coach in the NFL and I know a touchdown wins the game and I know I just tied the game by going into the two-minute offense, what, what am I digging and dunking for? Let me know. I'm not digging and dunking a damn thing. I'm going right 
seen a two-minute offense that compromised the defense to get us to the overtime in the first place. Even if I gave up the points that led to the overtime and I win the coin flip, I'm going into Keeps the two-minute offense. I don't understand what the fear factor here is. Go score a touchdown. There's no reason that in the NFL you can get a flurry of points in the last two minutes of the, of the first half and the last two to three minutes of the game, but then you'll go 15 minutes without scoring because you want to put together regular drives. Two minutes this drive and go score a touchdown and go win the game. There's no reason why an NFL coach getting paid the money he gets paid should be overly concerning himself with the fact that media guy A is going to ask me a question about why I went for the gusto off the rip. The only person the head coach should be concerned with is the GM and the owner, not media guy A. Not Jarvie talking about him on car sessions. His bosses are the only person he should be concerned with when he calls these plays. Maybe y'all disagree. But I know from my perspective, if I get the ball, right? If I get the ball, I'm going for it. If y'all play me in Madden, if y'all ever come across me in Madden 17, just know, just know, if it gets to overtime, y'all better play your best defense y'all play all game because I'm trying to score a touchdown. I know it's a video game, but so what? Like, I'm annoyed. Like, what's up with the play calling? What's up with the play calling? All these past attempts. Passing league, it's a passing league. Y'all heard me all summer. It's a passing league. Where are the downfield pass attempts? Did the downfield pass the game die with, with Peyton Manning before Peyton Manning retired? Like now that Peyton Manning is gone, we can all just let's coach each other to death. Let's check down to the running back. Let's check down to the third wide receiver. Let's only have our big time target go deep once in the blue. Y'all heard me lament what the Giants are doing on offense. The the, the lack of usage of an Odell Beckham. You know, like Odell literally has to throw tantrums and beat up nets. Because he's not getting the ball, and they're trying to make it seem like he's a distraction. But in reality, it's the play calling is extremely absurd. The play calling is so afraid. They're so afraid of their own shadow that they just call the safe play. Okay, let's go these five yards right here. Let's go these five yards right there. Let's run the ball right here. We're not even going to run a sweep, guys. We're going to run a draw. Let's go right up the middle because we're going to go forward. We're going to get a few yards. Coward. Yeah, I said it. Coward. Cowardly. Guys are playing scared. I'm tired of seeing these four wide setups, five wide setups, and I don't even see a 15 yard square out. I don't see a skinny post. I don't see a deep post. I see a quick slant or an underneath route that gets blown up. So, you mean to tell me if Joe Schmo in the crib is watching this game, he sees a five wide setup, he knows they're going to throw short. You don't think the dudes who get paid millions of dollars to play the sport know the same thing? 60,000 people in the crowd know what's coming. You don't think the 11 guys in front of you know the same thing? Then I see the quarterback checking down. Check it, check it, check it, check it. Kill, 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 kill. What are you killing? The play. You kill the play. That's what you killed. They're not going anywhere. Kill, 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 kill. 54 is the mic. <laughs> Come on now. I love it, the NFL. And I'm still going to watch every Sunday. I'm not going to be one of these guys who's going to bash the NFL. They're going to kick the league and say this and that and concussions and, and injuries. Listen, let's, let's, let's deal with things and put it in a 
doctors have been a part of. Nothing is new here. It's, the only thing that's new about it is the fact that people have decided to pay attention to it. You understand me? Nothing about the NFL is new. Nothing. So eight weeks into the season, if you concern yourself about injuries and what it looks like and how the players are being handled, the NFL does things for appearances. And like A.J. Smith said in The Matrix years ago, The Matrix Reloaded, appearances can be deceiving. If you choose to be ignorant of the deceit or the deception, that's up to you, brother. My eyes are wide open. I know what I'm watching. The players know what they're getting themselves into. So who am I to go on a crusade against the NFL? But let's, let's stay to the on-field product. In the second half of this season, I need some coaches with cojones. I need some coaches who are going to really, you know, spice things up. There's some legit defenses out there. But for the most part, it's a lot of scared play calling. It's, there's, there's no misdirection. There's no trickeration. It's paint-by-the-numbers offense. If you know a team is, is getting after you with the pass rush. I remember back in the day, Andy Reid. If you was getting under Andy Reid's quarterback, you know what you was going to get in your, in your guts? A screen pass. I find myself watching these games, seeing these quarterbacks under the rest, seeing the defensive ends going up the field, chasing down the quarterback, coming off the edge, and I don't see a screen pass. I don't see a shuffle pass. I don't see them even moving the pocket. They just drop back to throw and hope the quarterback doesn't get killed. Seriously. I'm frustrated. I want this league to be entertaining. The NBA is approaching a golden era. The NFL, as we've been seeing with the ratings issues, the NFL kind of plateaued and it's going back the other way statistically. So now you have to really concern yourself with the fact that as a league, you have a lot of expensive, you know, contracts. Anheuser Bush is paying you $250 million to be the exclusive beer company for the NFL. The TV deals, the Verizon NFL streaming package. It's a lot of money that NFL is responsible for on top of the money that they're making. So now you let the NBA, which is approaching the golden era, I gotta repeat that again. Start to, you know, pluck away some of your fans. Oh, the NBA starting? I don't have to watch this football. I don't have to watch this thinking and dunking anymore. Let me go feng shui my way over to the NBA and watch some exciting up and down basketball where it's pace and space for every team in the league. And it's just like, oh my God, it's not stop. They're going back and forth. They're going back and forth. The scores 120, to 114, 113, to 107. The scores are approaching the 80s again. Not that ugliness of the 90s that a lot of you guys love to glorify and hold up as the standard of NBA basketball. No, no. In terms of the scoring and the pace of the league, it's approaching the 80s again. So if I'm a casual sports fan and I get to see these guys run back and forth, bucket after bucket after bucket, do I want to see that or do I want to see these coaches who get paid millions of dollars to coach scared? Their coaches to not get fired. Hello? They're going to fire you if they want to fire you anyway. You didn't think about that? No? Jesus. All right. I'm out of breath, y'all. You know, I'm just frustrated with the NFL. Dallas Cowboys. Right now, Dallas Cowboys are 6-1. All the talk about Dak Prescott, Dak Prescott, Dak Prescott, it's rightful. To me, Dak Prescott grew up. He grew up. 
game-winning drive, prime time. Forget all that other stuff that he's done. Lambeau Field, all that, the, the Packers didn't look right. But prime time, divisional game against the Eagles. Biggest game of the week. Down, I was it, winning down close to 10 points? I think so. Yeah, yeah, they were down 10. Then they were down 7, 23, 16. Game tying touchdown. Got it in overtime. I liked what Jason Garrett did, going back to my initial point about Jason Garrett tried to score. Get what I'm saying? He went for the win. Off the rip. Did it work out? Eh, yes, it did. <laughs> but that's what you're supposed to do. You get the ball, you put the pressure on the defense, you don't even give the team a chance to win the game. You go win. You understand? But that's not what we're here for. The Cowboys are 6-1. They're approaching uh, a trap game, I'll call it. The lowly Browns. No wins to date. The Dallas Cowboys riding high. 7-1 is upon them. But you know what you got to factor in, ladies and germs. The following week, Big Ben Roethlisberger, who's supposed to be coming back this week for week 9, and the Pittsburgh Steelers are on deck. America's Game of the Week on Fox. So now, the Cowboys feeling good about themselves, feeling good about life, right? Do they look past the Browns? Or not? Serious question. To me, the Cowboys are setting... They're walking into a booby trap. If you ask me. I think this could be the game that the Browns win. But you know what? I'm going to put some respect on Dak. Dak has had both feet on the ground from the time he took over the starting position from an injured Tony Romo. I believe that they can win this game. But my question really and truly is, with this first eight weeks of the NFL season, what does the second eight weeks hold for the Cowboys? The Cowboys are looking real good right now, y'all. But is it a valid thing? How valid is this? Is my question. Steelers in two weeks. The Ravens with a stout defense. The offense is something else. The Redskins, tough loss, but the Redskins have probably the best offense the NFC. Then they have to go to the Vikings. Then they have to go to the Giants. The second half of this schedule is not what it's going to be when it was filled when it was filled with cupcakes in the first half. The second half of this Cowboys season is going to get very real very quickly. There's no breaks until there's no real breaks after this Browns game. There's no layover on the schedule to maybe Tampa in Week 15. The Giants and the Cowboys always play each other tough. I don't expect the Cowboys to go to Minnesota and win against that defense. But the Bucks, so that from basically after this week, they have, let me count this off, guys, I'm, while we on the air. One, two, three, four, five consecutive tough games ahead of them. Not, not non-winnable games, but tough games that they were not really going up against in the first half of the season. So while I'm not ready to hand the, AFC, the NFC East over to the Dallas Cowboys, we have to start really looking into the fact that we're going to find out what this team is all about in the second half of the season. Even if they got the Lions week 16, then they have to go to the Philadelphia Eagles week 17. So really and truly, after this week, the following eight games, there are no cupcakes with the exception of one. And if they, even if they, they go into that game like a day ago against Tampa, we see Jameis is capable of putting up numbers. I'm an I'm a FSU guy, whatever. But we've seen what Jameis is capable of if you take him lightly. So that being said, Dallas Cowboys, you really got to look. You got to look around. You got to start saying, all right, we're going to see now, Cowboys. 6-1 is nice. 
6-1 is very nice. So a couple of decent wins. But now we're going to see. Can you, can you survive the obvious track game? Can you survive the toughness of the schedule in the second half of the season? Will you be able to flourish the way you have flourished thus far this season? That's the real question here. Is it really time to talk about the Patriots and uh, Tom Brady as possibly the MVP? Four games, putting up better numbers than everybody else. Big Ben going down. Matty Ike is kind of cooled off. It might be time. It might be time to look at Tom Brady as a potential MVP candidate. So now, I'm not here trying to ride the wave. But I warned you guys. I warned y'all. Coming into this season, Tom Brady was going to wild for respect. For y'all who that don't know what wild for respect means, that's a New York term. Wild for respect means is that, yo, I'm taking what's mine. I'm going to do what I got to do, and if you're not going to give me my respect, I'm going to take my respect. And being that Tom Brady was disrespected by the higher-ups, a.k.a. Roger Goodell, he's going to take his respect Week in and week out. They could, have, they could have called the dogs off against the Buffalo Bills, but the Buffalo Bills wanted to, you know, embarrass them in Foxborough a few a few weeks ago. But on top of that, Tom Brady wants to leave an imprint against every opponent that he faces off against. Yes, there will be an imprint. I expect every Patriot win that's not a close game to be a blowout. Because they're doing it deliberately. They they want to show people that oh so now Tom Brady's not good he's he's not good enough to play quarterback without deflating the footballs even though he showed you for an entire season he's more than capable of doing so all right so now I'm gonna I'm gonna put some I'm gonna put some boots to butt because I'm trying not to curse on uh, session he's gonna put some boots to backside week in and week out but I have an issue a big issue with the with the New England Patriots. And it's on the offensive side of the ball. Not the offensive side, it's the defensive side. I'm stuck in today. Yo, guys, bear with me. I, I've worked eight straight days. I still got four more in front of me. So I'm not 100% on my game. So if I stutter or I stammer a little bit, stay with me. I promise you I'm not trying to suck on purpose. I'm just a little tired. But I got to give y'all the car session because I missed y'all. But the Jamie Collins trade. Trade one of your best defenders in the middle of the season. Because you guys couldn't agree on a contract? I mean, I know it's the Patriots' way, but this might be a bit too much. I can see you guys do that, you know, the week before the season starts or right after the season ends. But to trade him after week eight? So you're trying to say that your, your particular scheme is good enough to where you can trade one of your best defensive players and it would not matter. Wow. Wow. I gotta sit, I gotta sit back down for a second. Even Hugh Jackson was kind of puzzled as to what's going on there. In, the, in his comments in regards to the trade, he says, "I think he's a tremendous pass rusher. He can play linebacker." I think there are several things he can do. He has a real versatile skill set because he's done both there at New England. So we'll definitely find ways to plug him in. He says he can freelance 
and freelancing is okay with him. But if this guy is this good, right? If he's this good, would you trade him for money? Money in week eight? For real? This is what the NFL season is all about through eight weeks? You, you couldn't wait till the end of the season and do what the cutthroat NFL teams normally do and just, you know, ride a guy till the wheels fall off and let him go in the offseason and he becomes someone else's problem? No? I'm a little disappointed in the Patriots for that because I feel as though the Patriot way with this particular move, with this particular move, the Patriots way became bigger than Nino Brown. <laughs> you know what I mean? I don't really get that one. I'm trying, I'm, you see me here struggling to understand, like, why? You know? What reason would you have as an organization besides drinking your own Kool-Aid to let go of a guy that's talented in the middle of the season? That's my question. I'm a little disappointed in Bill Belichick, but you know Bill Belichick doesn't care about what I have to say. He's going to go out there, devise a game plan, and he's going to tell all of his naysayers, as per usual, to, to know your role and shut your mouth and smell what the rock is cooking. <laughs> you know what I mean? Another thing that I've noticed through the first yeah. eight weeks of the NFL season that's, you know, yeah. I don't know if it's a head scratcher or... Five years later, how am I the man still? Draft day, A Wiggins. But just Fuck simply confusing. Bitch, we stay winning. What's going on with you? know I had to do it for you. Russell Wilson and his lack of production. Uh, you heard some cursing in the background. I'm sorry, that was Drake. I'm, you know. <laughs> Drake was a little upset. I guess he's upset with Bill Belichick, too. But Russell Wilson and his performance has been extremely shaky you got the paper you got paid bro what's up with the you know following through on the investment Brock Eisweiler another guy not not following through on the investment but I told you guys in the offseason Brock Eisweiler's name is Brock Trashweiler he's not good you know I said that he's not good I'm not sure why the Texans gave this man the money. But that's not why we're here. We're not here to kick Brock Trashwaller. I just want to throw a couple of numbers out there. 176 completions. 1,719 yards. Nine touchdowns. Total QBR of 48.2. Player A. Player B. 158 completions. 1,812 yards, five touchdowns, a QBR total of 51.3. Ladies and gentlemen, you know, obviously, those are the numbers of Russell Wilson and Brock Osweiler. But player A was Brock Osweiler. So if you listen to those numbers, statistically speaking, there's not much of a difference between the two. What kills me about the Seattle Seahawks offense is that, you know, I, I watch the games and they throw so much. But it's like they throw to do what <laughs> exactly? 
What is the end result of all these? They're one of the most, they're one of the key offenders, the primary offenders of the full wide setups and the five wide setups with no intention of going down the field. Their offense is filled with tons of misdirection that go nowhere, right? I look at this performance and I get so upset because I'm like, what do you guys just run the ball? They're killing their defense. Their defense the past few weeks has been on the field, I would say, 60% of the time to the point that the opposing team's media group, they, they start to feel sorry for the for the Seahawks defense because it's a Seahawks defense on the field for too long. Russell Wilson and Pete Carroll have to figure out a way to get the defense off the field. <laughs> That's what they're saying. They have to find a way to keep them off the field. But then if Pete Carroll wants to keep throwing these dink and dunk passes, completely mismanaging the use of Jimmy Graham, and treating Doug Baldwin like he actually matters. He's not a top receiver, y'all. Doug Baldwin, I'm not here to attack him. But come on. He's not a top flight receiver. Seriously. Seriously. All right? Russell Wilson has 241 pass attempts through seven games. He's on track for a career high in pass attempts. So now you're going to say, all right, all right, his completion percentage is 65.6. But of course, his completion percentage could be 65.6. When you're not actually make, taking any shots, a bunch of high percentage throws that go nowhere, five touchdown passes because the offense is basura. The, the classic quarterback rating is a 91, but that's because the completion percentage is so high, and he has only thrown two interceptions. So that being said, his quarterback rating, the classic quarterback rating, will be fine. But the QBR says he's pretty average. He's running the mill. And that Brock Osweiler is only three points beneath you. To me, as a top-flight quarterback, as a Super Bowl-winning quarterback that Russell Wilson is, he should never be in the same conversation as a Brock Osweiler. I don't care what the circumstances are. That should never happen. That's not okay to me, y'all. It's not okay. I have my hands in the air right now. I'm looking around like there's an audience. But that's not okay. Brock Osweiler is basura. He's trash. I'm sorry. What Seattle needs to do offensively on the second half of the season is mix the running a little bit more. Simplify the offense. Kill the full wide of five wide spreads and everybody knows what's coming. Power run. Since Russell Wilson has gotten paid, they've, they, they've scaled back the read option game. He'll run to escape pressure and make a play, but because they want to protect the investment. They don't run the read option because they don't want the quarterback getting flat. I get it. But part of the reason why he got the contract that he got is because of what he was doing to exploit his advantages in the read option. You get what I'm saying, people? Last season, he did 34 touchdowns, 80 deceptions. Almost completed 70% of his passes. But when you don't have dynamic playmakers and teams have a whole offseason to prep for you, you can't replicate those numbers by by doing things where you're just basically deceiving your opponent. They know what's coming. You don't have Marshawn Lynch anymore. So you have to use the quarterback in that read option game to create opportunities. You have you have to create the mismatches. They're not there for you off the rip. So you have your greatest mismatch is your quarterback. So if that means you have to expose them to a hit or two extra, maybe then you do what you got to do because you're not going to go anywhere playing this bogus offense with an average quarterback play on top of that. I'm sorry, y'all. Y'all, y'all not going to feel me for that, but I'm sorry. It is what it is. What y'all want me to do? 
Rock trash wise. He only had he had less completions and less touchdowns than Brock Osweiler. Need I say more? You know, these are basic vanilla stats, et cetera, et cetera. I get it. Well, when you go from a quarterback who threw 34 touchdowns, I gotta repeat this: 34 touchdowns over a 60-game sample, and only has five and seven games. Something is off. That's all I'm saying. I'm sorry. You can be offended if you want to be, but something is off. What do you want from me? Well, you know, hopefully the Seattle Seahawks figure some things out because I like them. That's not a good team that I hate. I'm okay with the Seahawks. So that being said, I hope that Tom Brady, Tom Brady, I hope that this guy, Russell Wilson, figures it out. I hope that Pete Carroll figures it out. And after this quick break, we're going to get into some NBA. The Car Session Sports Report is live every Monday at 7 p.m. If you can't make it for the live show, this episode and all other episodes are available as a podcast on blogtalkradio.com slash car session sports talk. I'll repeat that, blogtalkradio.com slash car session sports talk. Don't miss out. Yes, yes, yes. Don't miss out. And if you missed it last week, I finally made my iTunes channel, my iTunes feed accessible to everyone. So if you go to iTunes, you can put into search Car Sessions Sports Talk. You will find me there. Or just type in Car Sessions, actually, and you'll find me there. Either or, if you see some old Car Sessions, that are attached to a different feed. That was my old work with my partner before we went our separate ways, so I don't want there to be any confusion. So you go to iTunes, you type in car sessions. You can listen to the old stuff, too. I'm still there. My partner's still there. We're still high fire. But I need you to subscribe to my page. And also, if you need if you need the direct contact as opposed to you're lazy, you don't want to do the search, <laughs> I get it. I'm the same way. You can go to my Twitter feed at Twitter. Chet underscore O'Hara. I repeat that. Chet, C-H-E-T underscore O'Hara, O-H-A-R-A. My iTunes feed link is in the bio. So click on that. Subscribe. Tell your mans in them. Tell your girls in them. Share the word. I I see what I do here. Car Sessions is hot fire. You're not getting this kind of sports talk anywhere else. But anyway, enough enough of the shameless promo. If I don't promote me, who will? Let's have to talk some NBA. Let's hit the music. The NBA, man. I did the PSA a little while ago. And I got frustrated with NBA fans because I feel as though out of all sports groups, the the, the hyperbole, the hyperbolic statement, the extreme foolishness always seems to happen with NBA fans. And I just don't understand why it has to be that way. Why, why, why we can't be logical when it comes to the NBA. Why does it always have to be a whole bunch of extra unnecessary you know what I mean? That's that's what I'm start calling these things now. A whole bunch of extra unnecessary. One game into the regular season. One. Not even two. Not a week's worth. One game into the NBA season. And we already had people hopping off the Warriors bandwagon. Oh my god, they were exposed. They were exposed. 
Oh, Kevin Durant. He regrets his decision. AD made, made the Warriors worse. Their defense doesn't look the same. I could continue, but y'all heard it all by now. I'm a little late to the party. <laughs> but the issue at hand is it's one game. Much like the Knicks got roasted damn near by 30. I think they lost by 29 to the Cleveland Cavaliers. A whole bunch of overreaction. It's one game. Both teams in that circumstance were victims of the platform they were playing on, not necessarily the basketball. Opening night, national television, all eyes on the two teams that were in the finals, the two clear rivals. I might not want to call it a rivalry, but the way they took shots at each other, people, this is a rivalry. All eyes were on these teams. The moves that were made in the offseason to get KD to Golden State, all the little pot shots LeBron and company was taking at the Warriors. They are must-see TV. This is why I'm saying that the NBA is approaching a golden era because you have a legitimate rivalry budding on a championship level. Not not a divisional rivalry, but a championship. It doesn't get any better in sports. When a championship and a rivalry go hand-in-hand. Hand. It's kind of like when Florida State played Florida in the 90s. You know a championship is coming out of that. In one regard, they played each other at the end of the season and played each other again in the Sugar Bowl for the national championship. And that made for must see TV. Yes. You know, you know, that's why the Celtics and the Lakers are so big and is so big in the finals because it's a legitimate rivalry. The his, when you become a member of those franchises, the stories that the legends tell you about him revolves around those teams. If there's no way you could tell a Lakers story without mentioning the Celtics. There's no way you can tell a Celtics story without mentioning the Lakers. That's what this league is all about. That's what this league needs right now. So when you look when you when you look around, these two teams played on that platform and got roasted. To hear the talk without any kind of perspective was so disappointing for me. I'm I'm gonna keep it a stack with y'all because the same people who are overreacting will be the same ones to explain to you that this is a process. You know what I'm saying? It's a process. It's easy time to gel. There's no way. There's no way that Kevin Durant, as good as he is, as good as he is, was going to go to the Warriors and the Warriors would just look like nothing changed. I said on the preview, the pieces that they let go in order to secure a Kevin Durant was integral parts in making the Warriors what they were the past two seasons. Making them the juggernaut they were the past two seasons. It wasn't just about getting buckets. It was about the chemistry. It was about on defense knowing where to be. They play a switching style of defense. They play a rotating style of defense. And players with practice time and game time together knew where to be at all times. Their rotations were extremely elite. So what they lacked in size, they made it they made up for a defensive intensity and length. And KD, did they get a lot of length? Oh, for sure. Oh, for sure. They did get a lot of length. What they're lacking is chemistry. You can't just make up chemistry. Chemistry chemistry is not something that can just happen. You need reps. Without reps, all the talent in the world is going to look average against the team who has a lot of time put in. Yes, Spurs did get Pau Gasol. 
They did lose Tim Duncan. But they still had Kawhi. They had a more comfortable LaMarcus Aldridge. Manu Ginobili still there. Tony Parker still there. A, a, a couple of the auxiliary pieces on the side are still there. Popovich is still there. For the most part, what the Spurs do is what they do. Nothing changes. So they were already a finished product. You had a finished product against a local spread that just got the East put in and it needs to rise. I'd have been more surprised if the Warriors blew out the Spurs, you know, coming into that game. You shouldn't be that surprised about what happened. What do you really think about it? You should be bad. But this is a brand new team. Yeah, the stars are still there. You can't get rid of the Oakland cards that the Warriors got rid of. A lot of new faces there. They need that time to get the rotation down, to get the chemistry down. It's going to take a while. So, before you jump out the window, take people to death. Take people to death. You know, celebrate the first game of the season like, like, like something happened at Astronomy. Have a little perspective. What I would like to talk about, actually, Steve Kerr. I'm concerned that Steve Kerr, and I said this at the end of the finals, what, what they're trying to do with the Golden State Warriors. It's falling into the Mike Tony trap of what we do works. What we do is better than what they're capable of stopping. You know what I mean? The Cavaliers made their adjustment and put guys like Tanner Brown on the bench. Put guys like Della Dope on the bench. There's another name that's escaping me right now with a big part of the finals run. Put him on the bench. Anything that the opposing team could do 
to stop it. Next thing you know, his teams are getting washed and set on a regular basis. Steve Kerr got washed and set on a regular basis for the three for the next three games because he didn't make an adjustment. He didn't go to a zone. They didn't they didn't stop the switch. He didn't implore his, his point guard to fight through the picks or whoever it was to fight through the picks to not have Steph on the island with these two people. So to me, where Steve Kerr was coaching brilliantly, doing things like putting Andrew Bogan on Tony Allen to negate him from the series entirely. <laughs> That one move messed Tony Allen's head up so much in game four that he never recovered. We need to see that Steve Kerr. We need to see that the Steve Kerr who shook the lineup up and put Andrew, uh, Andre Iguodala in the starting lineup in the finals because he needed to do something that worked as opposed to sitting back, believing that what he had was good enough to get it done. Steve Kerr, to me, is the biggest piece of this whole puzzle. Not Kevin Durant, not Zaza Pachula, JaVale McGee, not Steph, not Draymond, not Clay. Not any of those guys. It's Steve Kerr. People worried about Clay Thompson and being a fourth option and all this and that. Nah. This offense is not about options. It's about ball movement and finding the highest percentage shot, the most efficient shot every time down the floor. High possession rate. Up and down. Remember, Golden State plays and they have the most possessions. Per- their games create the most possessions per game so that allows some more opportunities got to get shots. So all this concern about who the options is and all of that, no. You don't have to worry about who the options are. What they need to be concerned about is being on the right place on the floor at the right times on the offensive side and the defensive side of the ball. And to me, the onus is on Steve Kerr to make sure that happens. And if he doesn't make sure that happens, it'll be his fault the season is a failure, not the players. Because to me, he failed the team last season. He failed. All this talk about Draymond and his, his volatility, to me, Steve Kerr was the biggest reason that they didn't repeat as champions more than anything else. Steve Kerr. Yes. I'm putting it on Steve Kerr. I don't care what y'all say. Whatever. Whatever. I hear y'all right now. Whatever. <laughs> I don't care what y'all say. How about that? Um. I'm seeing. Uh, I'm a little frustrated by this, this, this latest report, bro. I'm a Laker fan. I make that clear, but I'm not a belligerent Laker fan. I don't, I don't, I'm not into that. I know my team is Saka. I know my team is trash. I understand that. But I feel as though teams are, the media, certain players, they're too eager. They're a little too eager now. Like the Laker bashing is, all right, all right. You know? Brandon Jennings. Gets asked the question about D'Angelo Russell. So this is not a situation where a Nick fan or, or, or a Nick player was reaching. He was asked on Twitter, do you think D'Angelo Russell can be an all-star? Hashtag random questions. Brandon Jenner responds, dude is a great hooper, but I don't respect his snitch. Bruh, bruh. He asked you a question about basketball. Swaggy P, the man who was supposedly snitched on, has moved on. Whether they ran the fade or not, no one will ever know until the 30 for 30 comes out <laughs> down the road. But he's moved on. I was listening to local media in LA, and they're not even like, this is the person who's speaking about it. It's not a Laker fan. So before y'all get, get crazy out the mouth, he's not a Laker fan. He's a 
guy who's a celebrity in L.A. who deals with a lot of athletes. This man said himself, a lot of the elite players, a lot of the top-level players in the NBA have moved on. They wrote that off as D'Angelo Russell being a millennial, being one of the, being one, some of the, the, the first of this real era of the Snapchats and the Instagrams and filming yourself. Like, be, be mindful that a lot of players have been using it, but it wasn't to the degree to where uh, a teenager is. I work with teenagers, so I understand everything is for the gram. Everything is for the snap. Everything is for the book in a way that a lot of the, even like a 25 or 26-year-old can't relate to. These 19, these 18, 19, and 20-year-olds do everything for the, for the camera phone, for the net. So a lot of the, a lot of the top level players in the league wrote that off as him being stupid and being a kid because he just didn't know. Being a moron, like I said when this happened, I didn't view him as a snitch. I viewed him as a moron because he didn't have enough sense to realize that he was stupid about this. But at the same time, when you when you look at D'Angelo Russell, this guy's not from the block. He's not from the hood. He didn't, you you could tell this kid is kind of sheltered. He was like, he was like he was a fly guy who played ball, but he he there's certain there's certain even when he speaks. There's certain ways about him that you can see is there's, there's certain things that wasn't put in him. You know what I mean? He doesn't have certain ideals to hold on to. And I think a lot of that came into what happened with the phone and the Iggy and the swaggy. Street smarts, common sense, maturity. Not a snitch. When I look at Brandon Jennings, bruh, you need to focus on basketball. You were better off not even responding to the tweet. You out here trying to create commotions and appreciate the game. You know, yo, you're clapping in some face on the Wizards. You out here talking about D'Angelo Russell. You doing all of this because you know your Q rating is low. Do remember that Brandon Jennings was was one of the the next big guards in this league. Granted, his his efficiency was atrocious. He, he for the for his usage rate, what his shooting percentage was terrible. The ball was always in his hands. He wanted to shoot a lot of threes, but he, I don't think he shot, I don't think he's ever shot 45% in any season, in any of his full-time seasons, I don't think he ever shot 45% for the season, at all. Then he got hurt, had the Achilles, messed him up. So, and then, he had the situation with Tiana Taylor, you know, before was it, before was my man Iman Shumper, it was Brandon Jennings, then they, they had some static between Tiana Taylor, uh, Iman Shumper, Brandon Jennings, all of that on the internet. This guy, that's things on the net to make sure that he trends. He knew what he was doing. Much like when he said Kobe was a goal. He knew by him saying that while he was injured that that would trend because he's an NBA player. And he's a, a relatively popular NBA player but for the younger generation. So he knew that it would trend. He knew by clapping the sun's face and saying this is the mecca, this is the garden, that that would trend. He knew saying this about D'Angelo Russell at the top of the NBA season when all eyes are on the NBA to a certain degree. You already know when new season starts, outside of the playoffs, majority of the eyes that's on the season starts in that first couple of weeks because it's new. He knew what he was doing. But if I'm Brandon Jennings, you might want to focus on basketball, bro. Focus on that. You might play more than you expect to because the Knicks don't know what they got in Derrick Rose. They don't know what they have. They don't know if this guy can play the whole season or not. So you need to focus on that as opposed to making sure you trend on the internet. In all seriousness, this is not Laker fan job talking. This is me talking because at the end of the day, this kid has a habit of saying things to make sure he trends. And somebody needs to call him out on that. I peep the game, brother. <laughs> I peep it. 
cut out the overreaction. Brandon Jennings, chill out, play basketball. And then the Cleveland Cavaliers. This is the last thing I want to talk about when it comes to the NBA. They get a championship ring, right? Beautiful ring, gaudy, as it should be, the championship ring. But then I see the jewels on the side, and they have colored in red, three dots, and colored in, I guess, the white, four dots. Indicating that they were down, like the the, first, the three dots indicates the three losses that they had in the finals, and the four dots indicate the four wins. What is it about the Golden State Warriors that they need to stab them every chance they get? Granted, y'all won the championship. To me, that's the that is that's the biggest stab of them all: winning the championship, winning Game Seven in Oracle Arena in Oakland. But they, they constantly are at them. They stab and stab and stab and stab. And I need to know. It, it, I, there must have been a lot of hot fires. Forget what we heard in the media. There must have been a lot of hot fire being spoken on the court. I already told y'all LeBron was salty about the attention step again. He may never admit it. But it is what it is. We're not stupid. I don't want to call it jealousy. But he was salty about the attention step Curry was receiving. But championship celebration, you know, throwing subs with the T-shirts and, and, and LeBron's attire, <laughs> throwing subs, throwing subs with the championship ring. Like really? I didn't. I didn't know we throw subs with championship rings. This is amazing to me. This is news to me, y'all. They had the Halloween party. They had. What was it? 3-1. A 3-1 emblem with, that looks like a, a red and black Golden State Warriors logo. You know what I'm saying? Like, what's really good? Teams is out here trolling the team that they beat. Like, I gotta, I gotta go back to, to this whole point. I, I, wanna, I wanna look this up. I, I, I'm looking this up. I've never seen a team win the way the Cavaliers won and celebrate the way the Cavaliers did. Oh, look, let me put a bow on this. They had a sign that said 3-1. Came back from 3-1 at a Halloween party. Are you serious? Really? You see, I'm stuck right now because this is amazing to me. You won, bro. Oh, man. That might be the next... Excuse me. The sign said 3-1 lead with with a fake Golden State Warrior logo. But it actually looks like the backdrop of the Mets logo, but that's none of my business. (laughs) But the point was made. I've never seen a team celebrate this hard. That's why I know this is a rivalry. But I need to know. Maybe somebody can catch Draymond on a drunk night and they can find out what was being said on the court to where... The Cavs are celebrating this hard. They are, trust me, you know you play video games. Your cousin was watching you for years. Then you finally beat him. Your older brother, your little brother, whoever, your pops, your sister, whatever, your moms. They was beating you repeatedly. And then you finally win and you rub it in. That's what this feels like. It's personal. I need to know why it's personal. That's all I'm saying. Is that asking for too much? Can I find out why it's personal? And last but not least, let's, let's put a bone in it. No Eddie this week. But I'm going to do it for y'all myself. The World Series. 
Chicago Cubs on the brink of elimination. But you know what? I've been I've been actively cheering against the Cubs. Actively. Since the NLCS. I wanted them to beat the Giants because the Giants beat my Mets, of course. But then I've been cheering against them since then because I feel as though the Cubs should not be prohibitive favorites. They shouldn't be the juggernaut about the winning championship. They need to get some kind of adversity. They need to face a high level of adversity before they win the championship because it's the Cubs, it's the Billy Goat, it's Bartman, it's all these, you know, 1919, it's all these years. They can't, they can't just walk to the championship. They need to sweat. And now that they're down 3 2, I'm going to cheer against them less because now they're in the proper position. They are the underdog. They're the road team down 3 2 that has to force a seventh game win the championship. This is how the Cubs are supposed to win the chip. This is how the Cubs are supposed to win the chip. They're supposed to have a Rollins Chapman pitch two and a third innings just to get to a game six. They're supposed to have their whole city sweating and having ulcers and, and, and can't drink their beer comfortably because they're worried about their team. This is what it's all about. This is what curses and breaking curses are all about. It wouldn't have been fun if the Red Sox swept the Yankees and got to the a- to the World Series and they won the championship game. The Red Sox needed to be down 3-0. The Red Sox needed to win four straight because that is the classic way. That is the storybook way. That is the legendary way you beat a curse. A hundred years from now, people will be talking about the Red Sox coming back from 3-0. A hundred years from now, if the Cubs pull off this comeback, we'll be talking about the fact that this cursed franchise with the best team in the league year-round Year-round. It wasn't like they just popped up and got up in the World Series. This team has been good all year. Found a way to be down 3-1 and found a way to win the championship. Not the prohibitive favorites who ran through everybody. That's, that's not how you do things. Maybe the repeat title, like when the Red Sox won in 07, it wasn't as special because they saw it already. They were just the best team that year. But in 04, getting ran out of their field, ran off their field by the Yankees, ran out of Yankee Stadium the first two games prior to that. Did have to figure some things out just to get to a game seven. Kurt Schilling with the bloody sock. Yeah, I remember that. Pedro Martinez with the crowd chanting, who's your daddy? I remember that. That's legendary. Going to Cleveland, down 3-2. With every curse you can imagine on their head. A whole city on their back. That's how they're supposed to win this championship. I'd like to see how it plays out. Ladies and gentlemen, this has been the Car Session Sports Support. I'm your host, Javi, as I always say. Car Sessions New York City will be on deck this coming Thursday. Y'all already know. TJ's new podcast is coming next. You know, be on the lookout for that. Until next time, y'all, I'm out. Peace.